Welcome to the Runner's World Show, where each week we entertain you, inspire you, and inform you about all things running. Thanks for listening. I'm David Willey, Editor-in-Chief of Runner's World. And this week, in The Kick, we've got a story of some seriously disappointed marathoners and one ultra-runner attempting to break the Appalachian Trail thru-hike record. Then, Senior Editor Megan Keita talks with producer Christine Fennessy about when and how, because that's really the important part, how to do it right, how to take a rest day. But first, my conversation with comedian and marathoner Liz Mealy. We talk about the 12 marathons she's completed, including the one she ran with both her parents, if there's a difference between running and non-running comedians, and how running is a part of her creative process. I write a lot when I run and my mind wanders. So I would say a couple of years ago, a joke idea would come to me, or maybe I was having uh, a problem with a friend and I was thinking, how would I approach that? And it was always like a problem solving experiment while I went for a run. It would just really calm me and I would really solve a lot of joke problems and a lot of life problems. And then somehow, two years ago, it's just turned to me thinking about sex while I'm running. So thanks for listening and stay with us. Comedian Liz Mealy first hit our radar screen five or six years ago when we heard about a video that she shot and put up on YouTube that was called I'm a Runner. As most listeners know, I'm a Runner is the back page of Runner's World magazine, and it's where we interview someone who is well-known in one field or another, whether that's music or entertainment or politics. And that person talks about his or her running life and what inspires them and how running makes their lives better in one way or another or in all ways. We knew that Liz was kind of making fun of us, but we were okay with that. We think that it's good for runners to not always take running so seriously, and we definitely don't think we should take ourselves too seriously. So we thought it'd be a fun idea to see if Liz Mealy really wanted to be on our back page called I'm a Runner, and no surprise, she did. And she was funny there, too. She says that she eats chocolate after every run and has more chocolate on her running clothes than should be socially acceptable. That interview with Liz Mealy appeared on the I'm a Runner page in March 2015. Just before that appeared, she released her debut CD, which is called Emotionally Exhausting. And since then, she's been working like crazy and, in fact, recently returned from a summer tour abroad. She performed for U.S. troops in Cuba, Europe, and in the Middle East, and then did her comedy tour in Belgium, Sweden, and London, and wrapped things up at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland. While touring, she worked on her new hour, which will soon be released as a recording called Mind Over Melee. Liz lives in Brooklyn, and for her, running is instrumental to her health, both physical and mental, emotional, and psychological health. But it's also key to her work. So when we sat down, we talked about how running and comedy intersect for her and where her humor is headed next. The last time we spoke and and were together was at the Runner's World Half and Festival two years ago. And you did some stand-up for us here. And your CD, Emotionally Exhausting, was out. We actually have a couple of clips from that. And if it's okay with you, I'd like to just play you these clips and then just ask you to 
react to them if you have any reaction sure. at, at all. Yeah. And also talk about any new running material that you might have in this new hour. That's not right? Yeah, I like how my reaction is going to be like, yeah, it's really funny. I'm really proud of myself. Yeah, that's <laughs> hilarious. Who is that girl? Yeah, you're like, she should be famous. <laughs> okay, so here comes a clip. But that's what I do in my free time. I run. I, uh, I run a lot. I, uh, I run marathons, which is not bragging because I'm not good at them. I am currently still finishing the last one. <laughs> but, uh... I've been running marathons almost as long as I've been doing stand-up comedy. Whenever you do something odd or extreme, people always assume that they can't do it, too, which is not always the case. So with stand-up comedy, they'll be like, oh, my God, you're a comic. I could never do that. And I usually agree. I'm like, you're kind of boring. <laughs> Probably couldn't. But marathons, I don't agree. So they'll be like, oh, my God, you run marathons. I could never do that. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, you could. <laughs> You just have to find that right balance of hating yourself. <laughs> and you will. Because it's just cardio. It's just an abusive amount of cardio and some unresolved family issues. <laughs> and you might not agree with me, but I don't believe anybody wakes up at 5 a.m. on a Sunday to run 26 miles in the cold because they like themselves. Because <laughs> you know what self-confident people do. Nothing. <laughs> they do nothing and they don't justify it or excuse it. They wake up on a Sunday whenever they feel like it and eat cheese. <laughs> I've seen it. I didn't always run though. I started running about 10 years ago because I wanted to lose weight but continue to eat junk food. But now it's 10 years later, I run twice as much as I ever thought I would and I actually eat really healthy, which kind of seems wrong. It seems like I lost sight of my goals. <laughs> I, uh, I'll be honest, I, I haven't run in about four months. I actually ended up developing chronic back pain. And I did all the typical things to fix it. I went to a chiropractor for a while. I went to an acupuncturist. Nothing really helped. Eventually, I read this book that pretty much says chronic back pain is usually psychological, and it's usually due to unresolved emotional issues. But you have to say agree. It's just made it really complicated to talk about. So people will be like, how's marathon training? And I'll be like, oh, I haven't. I developed chronic back pain. And they'll be like, how? And I'll be like, my dad. Great stuff. Thank you. What, what's your reaction to hearing that clip? Uh, it's funny. I mean, I, I've always been proud of my running material just because it, it feels like something I've always taken really seriously. And it was something that was actually a thing that I started to kind of relieve a lot of anxiety and a lot of um, emotional pain that I was dealing with. And I'm always kind of really proud of myself when I'm able to take something that I don't initially find a funny topic and turn it into um, something that is like chronic back pain like that. The, I mean, it's gotten better, but like when I was going through that and I couldn't run, so like not only was I kind of um, self-medicating my anxiety by running, but then when I wasn't running, my sleep was getting worse, my anxiety was getting worse, and I was really sad and really upset. And the fact that I was able to write that joke, which is, you know, I read, clearly I read that whole book, um, Healing Back Pain um, by, uh, I think his name's John, John Santo. John Sarno. Sarno, probably. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, my therapist gave me that book and I read that book and every time I'm able to take something that both helps me um, in my, my own life just be a stronger, better person, but then also am I, I'm able to get material at it. I'm like, okay, so maybe I went through this for a reason and I know I'm not the only person that's been confused and upset by back pain and 
the fact that I can kind of take something that was honestly not a very fun time in my life and make it um, relatable and funny is something that I've always been proud of and really the, the reason I got into stand-up in the first place, which is to make a connection. And there is an, a, a runner that hasn't heard my marathon joke that hasn't gone, you are so right. Like, that's, yeah, like, you're, there's, something, there's something definitely wrong with you <laughs> if you run marathons. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I wouldn't... I, I, and I don't even say it in a, a negative way, but it's a it's it's a it's a drive that might come from a not healthy place, and through pursuing that, you end up kind of being a lot stronger, both emotionally and physically. And I'm I'm really glad it's something I I honestly stumbled across when I was 19. Um, and so I don't know. I I feel like what I do as a comedian is take my experiences and process them deeper than most people process theirs and then try to reflect it back to them so they understand not only what I'm doing but what they're doing and when I realize that I've kind of hit the nail on the head and I'm uh, connecting with people which is something I struggled with most of my life it's it's really really rewarding yeah well one of the reasons that material is so funny is because there's a darkness to it and and it does reveal this truth that a lot of us use running to work through really difficult things and you you allude to your dad when you know as as a simple explanation for why you're you know having this back pain you just say your dad yeah it is it that simple is it just sort of garden variety family stuff or are are there other specific things that you use running to to work through and and does it help yeah so I mean so I've been in therapy a very long time so um my family has been a stressor of mine forever so that is a simple you know clearly a very simple overture of one of my stresses but I mean I don't have a healthy temperament (laughs) I mean I don't handle stress well I don't handle um I'm a control freak. That's the best way to explain it. I'm a, I'm a control freak. And when things don't work out the way I thought they would in my head, I would, I would crumble. I would. And so through therapy and honestly through running, um, I've learned to, to let go and to, you know, who, who said these expectations in your head were supposed to come to fruition? What delusional world do you live in that, you know, you want something to happen and it's supposed to happen. And if it doesn't happen, it's, it's wrong. And so as I've learned to let go and to deal with things as they come on and, um, you know, breathe, (laughs) essentially, I've, I've, I've been able to look at myself from the outside and see how silly of a disposition I've had for, pretty much my whole life. And so I'm still a very easily stressed out person, but I think both comedy and running has let me process things in a healthier way. Any new running stuff in the new hour? So I have, um, so it's a, it's a sex joke. I've never really talked about sex on stage. And I've now, now that I'm 31, and for some reason my hormones are on fire and just want me to make a baby, um, I literally talk about the fact that I think about it a lot and it weirdly has come in correlation with running because the way running works for me is I write a lot when I run and my mind wanders. So I would say a couple of years ago, a joke idea would come to me or maybe I was having a problem with a friend and I was thinking, how would I approach that? And it was always like a problem solving experiment while I went for a run it would just really calm me and I would really solve a lot of joke problems and a lot of life problems and then somehow two years ago it's just turned to me thinking about sex while I'm running in a way that's problem solving as well yeah like like who do I want to have it with (laughs) 
So weirdly enough, that's like, because it's distracting. I'm running down a street and I'm like, oh, that guy's hot. And I wonder if that guy wants to go on a date with me. He's called me a lot. And like all of a sudden, and so basically my newest material is is kind of talking about that side of me, this weirdly intimate side that, I mean, now I've just told a whole podcast, but really it's just been my therapist and now these jokes that I've been writing about it. But um, um, yeah, that's probably a little TMI, but... <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so here comes a clip. I'm a, I'm a big runner. I do a lot of long distance running. I was doing a run a couple of weeks ago. I was about a mile away from home. And my first thought was, I don't want to go home and shower. I just want to lay on my floor and give up on life. That's <laughs> actually how I finish all my runs. <laughs> my next thought was, would anybody f me right now? <laughs> Like as gross as I am and like a lack of effort as I'm gonna give to the process, like would anybody be into that? It's like, why am I doing my hair and my makeup and trying to be the best version of myself? What about like two weeks without showering? Is any gonna, anybody gonna be into that? Like why is it in sickness and in health? Why can't it be in laziness and procrastination? How did it land when you were overseas? Pretty good. So, so this is the thing. Um, it does better here because we as Americans are a little more open about talking about sex and a little more open about women talking about sex. In the UK specifically, they are very repressed. <laughs> and I yelled at them for it because I have, so I have two, two sex jokes and the second one has to do with running. Um, if the first one didn't go well, the second one definitely didn't go well. Um, but I would always make a joke out of it afterwards where I was like, come on, come on, UK. Like, we're, we're all doing it. Why can't we talk about it? And it was it became really funny to have this kind of argument with them because, you know, I would be doing really well and then I would do this kind of running sex chunk and it would get really quiet. And I'd be like, you can't pretend like it's not funny. It's just you're uncomfortable. Let's talk about it. And it, be, it became this weird challenge every night where when it didn't go well, how do I break the tension? Because really I created tension with this joke. How do I relieve it? And um, so it didn't go as well as it would go here, but it was actually really fun in the way it wasn't going well and really telling of a whole nation. Um, there's just a lot that is un not discussed. And as a co comic, I kind of want to destigmatize. I mean, for me, as somebody that deals with a lot of mental illness in their family and deals with their own anxiety, I've always been half my hours about destigmatizing mental illness. And, and some of it's about destigmatizing uh, therapy and really anything. I, I think if you talk about it in a thoughtful way, you should be able to talk about any topic, whether it is running, sex, therapy, mental illness, what have you. So I, I kind of embrace the challenge of it. So it sounds like you had some issues with with your family growing up and w after you started started running you did your first marathon when you were uh, 19 and then your parents ran your second marathon with you yeah is that right yeah so i this is the weird thing about me i'm very much um an, like a hypocrite and an anomaly i am probably one of the hardest working lazy people you'll ever meet um <laughs> I just like I'm the type of person that'll do an hour workout, but then I'm like, well, I did my cardio for the day, so I will be taking escalators and elevators all day because I'm done my cardio. Um, but I've always been like that. So when I discovered running and marathons, it was really a shock to my family because I was the laziest person in my family. And here I am running a marathon. So um, my parents came to it. I did the New York City Marathon and I think they were so shocked and they were like, well, if Liz can do it, it can't be that hard. 
And um, it sparked my dad. I think I ran like six or seven marathons with my dad after that. Um, My little brother got into marathons. Almost everyone in my family after that ran. My mom did it, but she hated it. And to this day, still hates running. But my mom is probably one of the fittest, strongest people I've ever met. My mom has done CrossFit. My mom is like a black belt in Kung Fu. Uh, She's done every exercise fad from like Taibo to Jazzercise to whatever. Uh, But everybody has been either come to watch or participated or done some kind of running with me. And how many marathons have you done now? Uh, 12. And your PR is like 430-something, is that right? Yeah, and it was quite some time ago. Um, I think I was 21, and I did it in 434. And nice. and then it started creeping up to, you know, 445. So it's, it's I've, slowed, I've slowed down. <laughs> so I know Rob Delaney is a runner. We featured him on our... I'm a runner page where where you appeared last year. Yeah. But I can't think of any other comedians who are runners. How, how common is it? There's a couple like on my level and a little bit above that um, run. And there's so I've been doing stand up since I was 16 and I've been running marathon since I was 19. It's kind of synonymous with who I am. So people usually like com- that's one of the first thing a comedian will say when I see him at a club. They'll be like, oh, how's it going? How's the training going? So there's a few people that if they start running, I'm the person they ask about shoes and, you know, what should they do? Um, I don't know many that have done it to the extremes that I have, but I know a lot of people that have, you know, started running to get into shape, have done 5Ks and 10Ks, but we are a, um, uh, what's the what's the best way to put this? Uh, we are a don't move, sleep in, do drugs, drink a lot um, <laughs> culture, and I am one of the few people that wakes up I early in quotations because I wake up at nine and I know that's not early for most people. But, you know, when you go to bed at two, three in the morning, it is early. But I, I'm I'm the morning person that goes for a run every day and eats really healthy. And I mean, I can't tell you how many people roll their eyes at me when I, they find out what my diet is. Um, but I, I don't know. Eventually, most of my friends, because this life is so difficult, both traveling and clearly doing drugs and eating whatever you want and staying up late it affects you I'm usually the person when somebody wants to kind of change their life around they're like what do you do you have nice skin you seem healthy what do you eat (laughs) and so I've become that little like you know girl in the corner that is drinking a glass of water that they're just like Liz seems healthy maybe we should ask her why so aside from the obvious sleeping schedule diet maybe how how much people drink what's the difference between running comedians and non-running comedians um we're pretty pretty obnoxious um i know i know i've definitely trapped a couple of people and why you should give up sugar and i've lost so many friends due to that conversation um i i mean honestly i think we're all the same i mean my demons aren't any different than anybody else's i mean i have definitely abused um my, my, I've definitely used running in an unhealthy way, just like somebody would use, you know, drugs or food or anything else. So I don't, I don't put myself on some kind of pedestal of I got my life together and I know what I'm doing. Um, but I do, the control issues I have and the, um, you know, I'm trying not to hate myself, but the self-hate that I've had for myself over the years, I've tried to filter it in, in a positive way and get both healthy mentally and physically. And so... Um, there's people that hide that and there's people that are open about that. And I think, well, I have friends that are open about the debaucherous stuff that they do. I've been open about the, um, healthier stuff. So I, I, I can't say anything other than I I don't think we're much different. We just found different ways to filter those, um, 
uh, internal issues. Yeah, yeah. So when you're not thinking about sex while you're running, <laughs> if there are any moments like that, are you thinking about, you know, your demons, as you put it, or, you know, the, those dark spaces? What, what kind of stuff typically is going through your head? And how does that turn into jokes? How does, how does that process work when you're actually out there running and you're working on material? So I'm a, I'm a pretty angry person, um, and it's something that I've been working on. And so a lot of times, I think people don't like, somebody might tell me they're angry, but my anger is like something might happen and would be literally 15 seconds of my life. Yet I've written, not only have I written a three minute bit on it, but I've now worked on it for six months and I've been telling it every night. So it's both processing the anger, understanding the anger, and then finding how to make that anger funny. And that's pretty much what I will do on a run. So I'll be so angry and clearly I don't want to hurt anybody or be reactive. So my initial thought is I'll go for a run and try to kind of release some of that anger. Um, And so I'll be mulling it over. So like I think we've all done that thing where like somebody pisses you off and you have a like a preemptive conversation with them. You're like, well, I'll tell her that, you know, it wasn't very thoughtful the way she said. And, you know, you start having this fake argument in your head. So I'll kind of almost start there, which is like if I saw her, this is what I would say to her. And for me, it's always about how do I say it so I sound really smart (laughs) and how do I say it so that I make my points very valid and she can't be valid. And then I start to think, well, this this is crazy. Like I'm what, two miles into a run and I'm having a fake conversation with myself about a woman that doesn't even know she pissed me off. And then I start to think, well, why am I so angry? Well, I'm angry because I'm being, um, I'm not, I'm not being validated. I'm being overlooked. I'm, um, I'm, I'm being pushed aside. And then I think, well, why am I even, why are those triggers for me? Why is that upsetting me? Uh, well, you know, as a child, I was one of five kids and my parents were really busy and I was kind of, I felt kind of dismissed. And you really start to like pull it apart almost the way you would pull apart therapy, but I'm pulling apart my emotions and I really get to go deep down and figure out not only why I'm angry, but why it's so ridiculous that I am angry. And that's usually where I kind of find the nugget of a lot of my jokes. So um, I'm working on a joke right now, which I literally have done on stage twice. But when I was um, on a military base in Jordan, and I was traveling with three other comedians and we um, it was too dangerous for us to go back to our hotel. So we slept in tents on the base. The three guys had their own tent. And then I was in a tent by myself and it was just labeled women only. And I was really upset about it. I was really uncomfortable. And the guys are like, why are you so uncomfortable? I was like, because none of the other tents are labeled. So not only is and it's like it was like intense font and had like symbols and stuff. They made it very clear that it wasn't OK that men, men should not be in this tent. And there's a reason. And it's the military. And I was like, to me, it just feels like an arrow that says unconscious here. And I just I was upset and I was angry about it. And I didn't sleep that night. And so I'm you know, the the joke isn't completely formed, but that's what my mind just mulls over. And it just kind of thinks, well, why am I uncomfortable? Why am I upset? Why is this an injustice that there's a sign on the women's room yet? No lock, no protection. No. You know what I mean? Like, so that's kind of where you can kind of see the nugget of the anger and a nugget of the idea and then the next you know two weeks to two months will be me fleshing it out and making it more cohesive and less crazy (laughs) and if you turn that into humor does the anger evaporate oh very much so and not only does it evaporate but I learn so much about myself that the way I talk about my material is that often by the time I'm done the joke I've grown so much that the joke doesn't always apply to me anymore. So what people are seeing on stage is a past version of myself. So 
um, I'll have jokes about something that really upset me or really angered me or really confused me. But in working on the joke, I've actually taken the time to really understand how I feel. And I've actually really grown. And um, I might not even be that person anymore. So actually, my newest hour is called Mind Over Melee. And it's a, a little bit of a play on my last name, but it's a it's a play on the idea that there's all this chaos inside of me and I'm trying to overcome it. And all these stories and jokes are about how I'm trying to kind of take over, to kind of take control of some of my issues and see the positive sides of it. Well, Liz Mealy, I can't wait to hear the new material. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us uh, on the Runner's World Show and look forward to seeing you soon and, and maybe we can go for a run. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you. That was comedian and marathoner Liz Mealy. For my full conversation with Liz, go to runnersworld.com slash audio. Okay, you've done it. I've done it. Everybody does it. No, we're not still talking about sex. We're actually talking about rest. Rest is not the opposite of training. Rest is a very important part of training. In fact, it's when we rest that our bodies absorb the benefits of our workouts and actually adapt. Still, we ignore the signals our bodies are sending us to chill out. We hit the road figuring we can just power through fatigue, aches, or pains, and often we figure wrong and things go south. Why is it so hard for runners to back off and rest? And just what is the power of rest? Producer Christine Fennessy sat in the studio with senior editor Megan Keita to answer those questions and others and to talk rest day strategy. Christine started by asking Megan to tell her about a time when she ran when she really, really should not have. Well, back in 2013, I had this nagging cough that just wouldn't quit. Thought it was bronchitis. Thought, "Eh, okay, I'll just try to run through it. Turns out it was whooping cough, which is terrible. You don't want to get that. Whoa. Yeah, it, it was really bad. And I remember one day I went out for a run, and I had to stop mm, three or four times in the first half mile to cough. And I'm not talking like, <laughs> you know, just like a gentle cough. Uh, I was bent over at the waist, hands on my knees, like uh. hacking up a lung, like barely <sighs> getting air in. And I still went out for, you know, another, I, I made it about a half mile before I was like, I should probably turn around and walk home um, just because I can barely breathe. Uh, so maybe today isn't a good day for a run, but I, I hadn't slept the night before. I still went out anyway, even though I was feeling like garbage. And, you know, a runner is, is very, um, tends to be very stubborn, just <laughs> like me. <laughs> And yeah, and you're totally not alone because I walked around the office the other day uh, asking for similar examples, mm-hmm. and uh, there were no shortage. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I started with our associate editor Ellie Nolan. Hi, Ellie. You ready to talk to me? I can definitely talk to you. So I'm here to ask you to tell me about a time when you ran when you most certainly should not have. You should have taken a rest day, but you didn't. So, yes. go. I am ready for this. Um, uh, this happened to me about two weeks ago. I had played tennis in the evening, and I had worked until tennis time. Uh, so a long day. And then I felt pretty crappy the next day when I woke up. 
But then a lunchtime rolled around and I decided to go out on a 95 degree day and run for about four miles. And then I came back in and I just stared at my computer screen and wanted to cry. <laughs> so that wasn't the best decision. <laughs> and why exactly do you think that you felt like crying when you got back? Uh, I think I was just exhausted and I think that I knew that time would be better have spent here or stretching or doing anything other than being outside and running uh, at that moment. <laughs> My name is David Graff. I'm the senior multimedia producer for Runner's World. I have a great, terrible story about that. Back in 2012, I ran my first ever marathon, the Steamtown Marathon. Didn't train, it was a horrible experience. Around mile 18, I cramped up really bad, had all kinds of problems with my piriformis. Um, luckily, one of our training editors at the time, Jen Van Allen, kind of like helped me to get across the finish line. Uh, it just so happened though, the following weekend was our first ever Runner's World half. So I tried to run the half. I finished it and then took about two years until my piriformis ever felt good again after that. And I still feel it every once in a while too. If I feel like I'm getting weak, you know, I still have the pain with my piriformis. So it's been haunting me ever since. And I feel like it's that half marathon that did it. My name's Christopher Michael. I'm the associate online editor here at Runner's World. Uh, last year, I signed up to run the VIA marathon, which I was all excited to do. And uh, then I also, changed jobs, had a new baby, and bought a house. So suddenly shoehorning in those 18 and 20 mile runs became just like increasingly hard to do. And I had probably like three or four really bad runs in a row where like I felt okay, like physically, but I was just like like dying to get it over with and it was making me like more stressed out than I can even <laughs> like mention and like and and I run because it calms me down and makes me feel better and every run was awful and finally uh during like what I would call like a very dark night of the soul moment I decided to uh stop running for a little while and on reflection I feel like I should have given up so that was a good thing um, I don't think I really rested I didn't do it in the right way instead I just basically like wandered around feeling like a failure for a while <laughs> there's something wrong with us <laughs> I think there might be Okay, so you're laughing, and throughout all that, you were alternating nodding and shaking your head. So mm -hmm. <laughs> would you agree? Is there something wrong with us? Absolutely, but so normal among runners that, you know, it's a problem everyone has. Okay, obviously, among type A people, it is tough for us to take a, a rest date, even when we know that we're injured or we're exhausted or having a baby. Um, but there are there there are more subtle signals, right? I mean, it's not always these big, obvious signs that you need a break. What what should what should runners be kind of on the lookout for? Sure. I mean, if you're coming down with a cold, that's a big signal. If you're having trouble sleeping, and and more importantly than anything, if you are just in a really bad mood, if you dread every run, if you're cranky on the run, if you come back from the run thinking, "Ugh, that was terrible." 
over and over again, that's a huge red flag. If I only run a few days a week and I'm only running a few miles at a time, how important is a rest day for me? Well, it depends on what else you have going on in your life. If you are completely stressed at work, if you're not sleeping well because you have a new baby or a puppy at home, if you're trying to buy a house and sell your house, all of these kinds of life stressors can add up to a fatigue that you carry with you into your runs. And if you are feeling like even though you're running a few times a week, a few miles at a time, if you're dragging on those runs, it could be time to reevaluate your routine and consider taking a day off. So why is it such a big deal to heed your body and take a rest day? Well, if you don't listen to your body and you push through, you are less likely to reach your running goals. Um, Your body needs rest. It needs to recover in order to benefit from the hard training that you're doing. And if you ignore it and you push through, you're much less likely to achieve those times that you're training to achieve in a race, and you're less likely to have fun doing it as well. Um, And if you ignore enough signals, you could end up injured, you could end up sick, you could end up so fatigued that you can no longer ignore your body and push through. So all of these are reasons to take a rest day as soon as your body is kind of demanding it. So how do you do it? How do you take a rest day? Um, Even marathon great Meb Kaplesky, he's run in the Olympics several times. He just ran in the Olympic marathon recently at age 41. Yeah, amazing. Um, Even he, one of the cornerstones of his training is if he feels like he's not recovered from a workout, he'll take an extra rest day, an extra recovery day to make sure that his body um, is, is ready to perform the next time he does a hard workout. So on that day off, the key is to take care of yourself all day long. So if you usually get up early, sleep in for an extra half hour to an hour, really pay attention to your nutrition that day, eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, all kinds of whole foods, hydrate all day long, and foam roll if that's something that you usually do, if that's something that feels good to you. And then at the other end of your day, you don't want to stay up really late watching Netflix take some time to unwind before bed and, and get to bed at an early early time for you. The key is to really let your body recover and to do everything you can to facilitate that. And so then just the next day, just jump right back into my plan? Everything's good? Not exactly. I would kind of ease back into it by planning an easy run. If you're feeling good after five to 10 minutes, then you can complete the easy run and kind of get back into your plan where you left off. If you're not feeling good, I would say head home and all of those things we talked about doing on the rest day, do those things again for up to three more days. And what do we do during those three days? If we're not running, I mean, do you want us to not do anything? (laughs) That's not necessary to not do anything. If there are other cross-training activities you enjoy, you can absolutely do them. Just keep the effort level easy. Keep it short. Make sure you're doing all the other things to let your body recover, and that should help you get back into the running running spirit. Okay, Megan, so just to sum up, if you are noticing that your mood is sort of consistently in the dumps, maybe it's time to take a day off. And when you take a day off, you really want to prioritize sleep and good nutrition and good hydration and maybe foam roll that day. And then, you know, if you get out the next day and you're still feeling really crappy after like 10 minutes – bag it and maybe for the next three days just really focus on those three important things with your sleep and nutrition and hydration and you don't have to give up all activity but you really anything you do should pass the talk test you should be able to talk easily through it all whether you're riding your bike or hiking or swimming or anything like that 
And usually after that amount of time, you're probably pretty good to go? You should be. As runners, we ask a lot of our bodies. It's really important to listen to them when they're crying uncle and to give them the break and the care that they need. Wise words from our training editor, Megan Keita. Thanks a lot, Megan. Thanks, Christine. For more signs you may need to take a rest day or even three or four rest days, check out runnersworld.com audio. And now it's time for The Kick with reporter Kit Fox and online editor Chris Michael. Well, this week we've got digital editor Chris Michael filling in for Brian Dalek, who's on vacation. Really glad the website's still functioning. Yeah, well, it's sort of functioning. We're, we're holding it together uh, with spit and tape at Brian, the moment. Brian, please come back. Yeah. But, but to uh, start things off with the week's news, we've got um, an unfortunate event that happened this past Saturday at the Lehigh Valley Via Marathon. A train, a slow-moving freight train, actually interrupted the course right before mile eight, and it affected about over 100 runners, and they were delayed for maybe about eight or so minutes. So Kit, tell me why this is such a big deal. Well, so the Via Marathon kind of advertises itself as a last chance Boston qualifier. It happens two days before uh, Boston Marathon registration opens. Okay. And a lot of these runners were on pace to get their BQs. Um, and oh, so yeah. this actually affected a fair number of them in getting the BQ, you know, it delayed them up to eight minutes. So they either had to make up that time or miss it completely. Um, but VIA actually released a statement on Monday saying that there was there was a miscommunication between the train company and the race. The race had had several assurances from the train company that it wouldn't put trains through during the course. Um, and they're now working with runners who are affected to adjust their times and sending those off to Boston. Uh, no word if the BAA is going to accept the adjusted times. Mm-hmm. Have they have they accepted these kinds of adjustments before or have they resisted that? It kind of depends um, on a case-by-case basis. But uh, a previous race a couple weeks ago, the Santa Rosa Marathon, mm-hmm. some pacers accidentally led a group off course affecting their BQ times and the BAA didn't accept adjusted times. So We'll see. Um, so the finishers from VIA who did get a Boston qualifying time are one of the many thousands of runners holding their breath right now to see if they will get a Boston bib because uh, registration opened on Monday. And as you know, it's based on how fast you ran. So the runners who qualified by the most time get to enter first, and there's a there's a cap. So even if you qualified, it doesn't necessarily mean you're automatically going to get a spot. That sounds incredibly nerve-wracking. It is. So uh, moving on, uh, I understand that there is an ultra runner who is trying to break uh, the Appalachian Trail through hike record. Yes. As we speak, ultra runner Carl Meltzer is in the middle of a 2,100-mile, 14-state trek on the Appalachian Trail, runs from uh, Maine to Georgia. He's uh, just... Uh, as we record this on Monday, mm-hmm. 39 days in, which means he's got eight days to break the record. The current record is 46 days, eight hours, and seven minutes. That was set by Scott Jurek last year, right? Yep. It's only a year old. Scott Jurek, as we know, um, pretty well-known ultra runner. And what's what's great about this, so Carl has just over 400 miles to go. He needs to average about 50 miles a day. And who's helping him along the way, but Scott Jurek. Really? 
Yeah, so Scott's out there right now helping Carl try to break his own record, which is just kind of a great show of, of sportsmanship and friendship. And in fact, Carl last year came out and helped Scott break the record, so it's kind of repaying the favor. That is some amazing camaraderie. So um, again, yeah, he'll hopefully break the record um, early next week, and we'll keep you all updated on his progress. And now kind of to, to wrap up this week's news, um, for the uh, the tech geeks out there, we have some big running-related news with Apple. What did they announce? So uh, last week at the annual semi-annual uh, Apple event, along with uh, a new phone and a number of other things you may have heard, uh, unless you've been hiding under a rock, Apple announced the second generation of their Apple Watch. And this is the one that runners, uh, I think, have really been waiting for because this is the one that comes with GPS at last. Uh, so you don't have to carry your phone with you or rely on uh, an accelerometer to uh, understand your pace. Uh, there's another neat thing about the the watch, however, which is that there's a partnership with a company that you may have heard of, small little company out of Oregon named <laughs> Nike. Little company. Little company. So uh, Nike has a, a running watch or had one for a while. I believe you had one, right, Kit? I still do. Still use it. Uh, but they discontinued it a few years back, uh, and people weren't really sure why it seemed popular. It turns out that it probably had to do with the partnership that they were forming with Apple. So now uh, you can buy not only a traditional Apple Watch, but you can buy a Nike Plus running Apple Watch, which has uh, a lot of the same software and functionality that you uh, you enjoyed with your uh, running watch. Um, but now it has all the Apple Watch features as well. And of course, I think the kicker for you, you know, what's going to make you drop the three hundred and sixty nine dollars is the addition of Pokemon Go. Oh yeah, I can't wait. That's uh, that's the thing that I'm basically standing in line starting tomorrow for. All right. Well, we'll we'll try to keep the website running as you go. Wait in line. Um, hopefully, Brian will be back by then because I don't think it would actually be able to function without you too. <laughs> but uh, thanks so much for joining us, Chris. Thanks a lot, Kit. That's it for this week's show. Thank you for joining us, and thanks also for all the ratings and reviews. We love hearing from our listeners. I'm Runner's World Editor-in-Chief David Willey. This week's show was produced by Sylvia Ryerson, Christine Fennessy, and Mervyn Deganios. The Runner's World Show is part of the Panoply Network. And just a quick heads up, we are taking a short break to work on a bunch of things for the show. You might even say we're taking a rest day. We'll be back in two weeks with an interview with Runner's World contributor, Kristen Armstrong. We'll miss you, but we will see you then.